All right, everyone, we're going to get started. Welcome, welcome. Guys, thank you for being here. Sorry it's hot in this room. We will try to speed through this thing. But no, 40 minutes, we won't waste your time. This is the Fighting Sin Breakout. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Zach. This is Andrew. We both serve as SALT directors in the great state of Michigan. Uh, but only one of us is in the national championship on Monday, so... Go blue, baby. Which, which will be vacated in six months for sign stealing. Anyways, guys, thank you. Uh, thank you so much Allegedly. for being here. Like I said earlier, uh, it's hot. We're going to try to produce value for you. We won't waste your time. And so for about the next 40 minutes or so, we're talking about fighting sin. Okay, so Andrew, why don't you set the stage here uh, with totally. this breakout? Yeah. You guys, I'm actually so, so grateful that you chose to be here today. We are going to talk all about sin, which I know is a topic that maybe doesn't sit well with everybody, but I just want to acknowledge that you might be coming here from a bunch of different places. You might be like a small group leader at your salt company, just wondering how to help people in your groups who are struggling with sin, and that's awesome. Maybe you wouldn't even yet call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you're like here wondering, hey, is this sin in my life? Is the stuff that's like messed up? Like, how can I clean that up so I can even come to Jesus in the first place? We're going to talk about that. Or maybe if you're like me, and especially like me when I was a Salt Company student not that long ago, you're just here because you're like tired. Okay, you are exhausted of fighting your sin, of struggling with the same sin. You like genuinely love Jesus and you want to be like him and you're trying to follow him. But for whatever reason, some of those th same sins just come up again and again. And I just want to say there is hope for you. And actually, the Bible does not shy away from talking about our sin, but it does give you a message of hope and victory. And the reason we're here today and the reason this whole conference is going on is because Jesus Christ came to die for you, but not just die for you, to come back to life. But when Jesus came back to life, he left your sin and its power in the grave with him. And this whole breakout session is actually designed to help you walk in the power that Jesus and his life gives you to conquer your sin. Okay, so there is a tremendous amount of hope, a tremendous amount of excitement for us as we think about this breakout session. And we're going to give you some tools and some just ways to think about your sin and how to walk in victory over the sin and failures of our lives. So, but before we do that, we should probably talk about what is sin. Give like a yeah. definition. You can't fight what you don't know. So tell us like what is even sin? Yeah, this is the fighting sin breakout. So what are we finding? So here's, here's what I want to give you. I want to give you a clear definition of sin. I'm going to build towards it. Then I'll say, here's the definition. So what is sin? Okay. So most people, when they think about sin, it's like, oh, I don't know. Don't do bad stuff. Like it's the bad stuff that we do. But what does it mean biblically? Okay, well, if, if you were in the room last night, Icky kind of talked about what the, the word sin actually means. Sin in the Greek, it's harmatia. All it means is to miss the mark or to fall short of a target. Okay, so you, like you said, you got the picture of the target, you shoot at it, it falls short or you miss it. So the good question to be asking is this, well, what's the target? Like in the Christian life, as humans, creating the image of God, what is our target? Like, what are the commands? How, how much should we obey them? Jesus helps us a little bit because he, he takes all of the commands of the Old Testament. And he boils it down to two commands. You guys know what they are? The first is this, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if that's the target, love God and love others, here's a clear definition, very basic definition of sin. It would be to fall short of loving God and loving others as you should. Very, very simple, okay? To fall short of loving God as we should and loving other people as we should. So, I mean, okay, 
That's a very high view of sin. But Andrew, the Bible talks a lot more about sin and specifically how it relates to us as humans. So if, let's take yeah. that definition. Can you bring it down a little bit? Totally. So it's not merely just the bad things that we do. It's not even just the lack of loving God. Sin is actually something much deeper and much, pro, much more profound than that. And the Bible talks about it this way. Okay. First thing the Bible says is in John eight thirty four, Jesus is talking and he says to us, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Okay, sin isn't a slip-up, it's a slaveholder, and it's a brutal one. All right, the difference with us fighting our sin, it's not the difference between us being like kind of a bad person and a slightly better person. The difference is us being controlled by an evil slave master or free and alive to Christ. Okay, the Bible talks about sin as something we're enslaved to, something that has control over us. It says we're enslaved to our sin, so that's the first thing. Second thing, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the sinful passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So sin is an enemy that you are at war with. Yes, it's a sin. A sin is a slaveholder that wants to control you, but it is an enemy that wants to take you down. Meaning that the parts of your heart and life that are a little bit messed up, like your desire to gossip, your lustfulness, your anger, your whatever, those things will not stop until it gets all of who you are and puts you to spiritual death. That is a win for your sin. It is an enemy that is at war, violently attacking you and your heart. It's against you. And here's the third thing the Bible says. Psalm 51.5 is written by King David, you know, David and Goliath, after he had committed some terrible sins, all right? He committed adultery, he murdered somebody, and then he wrote this psalm confessing that, and look what he writes in this psalm. He says in Psalm 51, verse 5, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Okay, you guys, David didn't become sinful because he committed adultery. He committed adultery because he was sinful. There was something that was so deep and so twisted inside of him. We call this sin nature or indwelling sin that he's like, hey, from the time I came out of the womb, something inside of me was messed up, and that's why I do the bad things. Sin, it's entangled deep, you guys. It is inside of us. And that's why when Jesus says, hey, come follow me, come like go to the cross, crucify your flesh. The reason Jesus talks so intensely about your sin is because it is intensely trying to hurt you. And as somebody who loves you unconditionally, he cannot possibly stand idly by while there is an enemy out to get you. And so he talks strongly about sin. And in fact, that's why Jesus came to earth and was killed so violently and brutally. Part of that was so that he could put to death the thing that is trying to put you to death. And so we take our sins seriously because Jesus and the Bible take it profoundly seriously. And Jesus did something about it. And so we want to go to war with the right type of weapons to put down this enemy that's kind of like deep inside of us. That's great. Okay. So we give you a definition of sin. And then we're also, we're trying to do something. We're trying to push sin down deeper than you might think. Like it, it's not just what you do with your hands, but it's your heart, like the status of your heart. Like I love what R.C. Sproul says. He says, you're not, you're not a sinner because you sin. No, you sin because you're a sinner. Like it has to do with your heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, that's where the sin comes from. So we're trying to, we're actually trying to make it sound a lot like worse than maybe you think, because it actually needs to go down deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart. So we're at the point now where it's like, okay, what's the hope? 
Like, okay, we're at the fighting sin breakout. Aren't you going to give us some hope here? Well, yes. Okay, the Bible, yes, it's going to talk often about the dangers, how it enslaves you. It's like the seat you're strapped to. Like, when we call you, when we call you a sinner, it's not personal to you. It's like, no, we're all in this together. It's the seat you're strapped to. Tory Bolton, we're all in this together. Okay, this is who we are. But the Bible, guys, the Bible's going to give you hope. It's not going to force you to throw up your hands in defeat. No, it's going to call you to throw up your hands in praise to Jesus because he has given us hope that when you become a Christian, you don't just have a new relationship with Jesus, you have a new relationship with your sin. And you, and you learn to love the God you once ignored and to hate the sin that you once loved. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can now kill sin. Like I love what John Owen, he's an old Puritan guy. This is what he says about Jesus' death on the cross and its relationship to us fighting sin. He says, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. You're not killing sin unless Jesus was first killed on the cross. Like, if you're not a Christian in here and you're like, dude, I want to kill my sin, like, you might be able to, like, white-knuckle it to the ground, but I'm here to tell you, you're not going to be able to finally kill your sin unless you have the power of God in your life. And there's like three different ways I like when people talk about when it comes to the believer's relationship with sin. Like, as Christians now, What's our relationship with sin? And there's, there's the penalty of sin that we have a relationship with. There's the power of sin and then the presence of sin. So it's really, it's, it's good to understand what's our relationship with these things. Well, first, the penalty of sin. Well, that's been paid for on the cross. Am I right? Okay, it's been paid for. We do not have to pay for our sin anymore. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that Jesus on the cross, the penalty is taken care of. But then there's this power of sin, because what God wants for us is not just forgiveness of sins, but freedom from sin. And he's given us his spirit. And so as believers, our relationship with the power of sin is that over time, the power of sin would slowly loosen its grip on our life, that we're going to kill sin by the power of the spirit. And all the while, as we think about the presence of sin still being with us, looking forward to the day when there will be no more sin. And we'll be sinless. And there'll be no sin on this earth. And so that's our motivation for, for fighting sin. The penalty is gone. We're talking about the power to beat it, knowing that one day the presence of sin will be gone. Yeah. And here's a picture for how this looks. Because that's kind of a weird concept to think about. That like, all right, I'm alive to Christ. I've got power. But I still have sin in my life. Here's a picture for how this works. In John chapter 11, we see a story of Jesus raising one of his best friends from the dead named Lazarus. Maybe you've heard of it before. But in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up to this grave. Lazarus had been buried for four days, so he was dead, he was buried. Jesus says, roll the stone away, and then Jesus gives two commands. Maybe you remember what they were. The first one was Lazarus, come out. And the second one was unbind him and let him go. Okay, what were those commands? The first one, Lazarus, come out. He's like, Lazarus, come back to life. Breath, go back in his lungs. Heart, start beating again. I'm calling you out of death. I am resurrecting you. That's Lazarus, come out. But the second thing that Jesus said was unbind him. Why would he say that? Because when Lazarus was dead, they would wrap bodies in burial cloths to preserve the body and to bind it shut. And so, yes, Lazarus was back from the dead. He was alive. He was powerful. However, there were still some remnants of his old dead body on him that now it was his responsibility and the power in life that Jesus gave him to take them off. 
You and me are like Lazarus, okay? We have been made alive by Christ, the power to defeat our sin, but we still have some burial cloths on, okay? And the thing about burial cloths is they are good enough to hold down a dead body, but they are powerless to somebody who's been raised back to life. And Jesus has given you that type of power and says, now take your burial cloths off. And so it's our responsibility now as Christians to focus less on what burial cloths we have on and more on the power that Jesus has given us to day by day rip them off and get rid of any stench of death that might still be in our life. That's great. Okay, so as Christians, okay, we're made alive in Christ. I mean, we've got this end picture of one day we're going to be free from sin and, and over time we're going to be sanctified and, you know, hopefully fight sin better. So Andrew, what's the process? Like, can we get, let's try to get practical yeah. here. How do we take off of those burial clothes and live the life Jesus has called us to live? Totally. The big picture answer is one day at a time over a lifetime of following Jesus. Here's the thing. When Jesus makes you alive, he then begins you on a journey of transformation that does not happen overnight. Man, it would be great if you could just come to like one breakout session at the SALT conference, be like, boom, done with my sin, fought it, won, battle's over. Not how it works. All right, here's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. One day at a time, one little degree after another, all of us, if we are in Christ, are becoming more and more like him. Okay, and the hardest thing about fighting our sin is that it's a battle that we are going to be fighting for the rest of our lives. But the encouraging part about that is that Jesus has given us the tools and the power we need to actually have victory and promises us victory in the end, okay? So for the rest of the time, we're going to talk incredibly practical. What are those tools to fight our sin, and how do we like use those effectively to conquer our sin, okay? And we're going to give you three tools, and we're going to do a deep dive on all of them. And the thing about these three things, this is not like the elementary teaching on fighting sin. This isn't the junior varsity. These three things are the things that the Bible holds out, and Jesus himself says these are effective if you will live a lifestyle of these things, okay? It's confession, number two is repentance, and number three is abide in Christ. How do you fight your sin? Three steps, confession, repentance, and abiding in Christ. We're going to talk about all of those. That We're going to define them first real quick. So confession, here's, what, here's just a simple definition of confession. Naming and owning your sin to God and to others. You got to name your sin. You got to own it. Hey, it's my sin. I did it. This is in me. That was my action. I'm going to confess it and I'm going to own it to God and to other people. I'm going to, with my mouth, own my sin. Okay. So that's confession. Second is repentance. Okay. Super like churchy word. Okay. That word literally means to turn away from something and to turn towards something. So when it comes to fighting sin, we want to turn away from our sin, but not just that, but to turn towards Jesus. Okay. So it's this idea of not just having self-awareness that you have sin or telling other people about it, but actually doing something about it. We don't just want to talk about our sin. We want to fight it. We want to do something about it. So that's repentance. Man, we're going to turn towards Jesus. And then third is abiding in Christ. And here's the deal. Here's why we're putting that one, uh, especially at the end here. You know, those first two, confession and repentance, man, that's kind of like reactive ways to fight sin. So like you sin, so okay, confess, repent. Guys, abiding in Christ, that simply means to like to be with Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and to have fellowship. It literally means to dwell with. And what, what we'd say is, well, that's actually a proactive way to fight sin before it ever comes. It's just walking with Jesus, 
cultivating a heart with him. And the best way to fight sin is actually just to walk with Jesus and have a heart that's in love with him. Okay, so Andrew, yeah. confession, repentance, abiding Christ. Let's go deeper here. So let's yeah. talk about how do we actually live this out? Maybe some practical, we'll go back and forth, some questions here. So start with confession here. What, what, do we, what should we do? Yeah. Here are just some of the ways we think about confession. Okay. Uh, this is so funny. I don't know how they choose who does the breakouts for conference, <laughs> but let me tell you, they did not look at us and think those guys are experts at killing sin. I, they probably just looked at us at those guys were like they're pretty experienced sinners so maybe they'll have so that's where we're coming from yeah we've been fighting for a long time we're still fighting so just that's where i'm coming from today i'm like i don't know i'm still fighting a ton of sin hopefully you are too i'm just telling you what i do because i gotta do it all the time so the first question that like i wonder and I, i hope you guys are asking is what should i confess like what do i tell god what do i own uh the first thing it's pretty obvious but it needs to be said anything and everything that you become aware of that is sin. Anything you read in your Bible that's like, oh man, I'm doing something that this says not to, or anything you hear in a sermon, like just like empty the tank on things. Like when you become aware of it, that's often a gift from the Lord thinking, hey, you need to confess that. And so I would confess anything, or maybe if something just feels a little off, I'm all the time doing this. I'm like, dude, I don't even know if this sin, I just feel kind of a, a weird way about this situation and I don't think I handle it great. Can you diagnose it? Usually the answer from my friends is like, yes, that's sin, dude. You should not do that. And so, but yeah, anything that kind of feels off or weird or anything that I become aware of, I want to like very quickly, like make that known to God and to others. That's great. So so we're not just confessing sin, but even confessing weakness. Like that's going to be so helpful for you. If you have an accountability person, you're texting, Hey man, I'm, I don't know if this is sin, but I'm just feeling weak. I'm feeling, you know, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, any of these things. I'm feeling weak. I could be prone to sin. So I'm trying to confess that. So, okay, we're confessing weakness, uh, sin as fast as we can. Uh, but also, we, we want to encourage a full confession. We want to confess fully. So what does that mean? Simple enough. It's not like 80% of a confession or 95 or 99. You leave out the one piece. No, no, you want to confess it fully. And so everything involved in the process of the sin, what you said, exactly how you said it. And one of the ways that I like to tell my D group guys is actually confess it with a lot of honesty and like radical biblical language. And so, for example, here's what this would be. We'll take pornography since it's an easy one to do. It's not just like, hey, I slipped up and watched porn. That is a confession, but actually you, you need to get really radical and biblical about it. You could say this as you're confessing, hey man, today while I was tired, I selfishly chose to totally abandon my convictions and the spirit of God. I quenched the spirit of God and I chose to look at a woman who's full of dignity and value, who has the image of God on her and use that woman for my selfish sexual pleasure today because I was weak and tired. Like, that confession right there, that's a real honest confession, but I promise you, that can be done with all different kinds of sins. But if you will do that, I promise God will use that to help you fight it. Yeah. I heard someone say sometime, if you want to feel vaguely forgiven, vaguely confess. Like if you're like, hey, I'm kind of struggling with this, you actually rob yourself of the opportunity to get the real forgiveness that you need. There's actually something so, so powerful of being painfully obvious and explicitly clear about not what sin you did, but how you did it, why you did it, what you were feeling that actually gives someone else. And in fact, Jesus himself, the opportunity to enter into that space and say, I heard the worst part of what you did. Every detail, everything you were embarrassed to share, and yet you are still loved and forgiven because I died for that thing. 
And so if you want to experience the fullness of the forgiveness of Jesus, you need to confess fully because I promise you his forgiveness and grace will meet you in that space and you are robbing yourself of that opportunity if you don't go all the way, 100%. It's easy to confess 90%, you know, of the things, but we want to confess all of it. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to be fully loved, you got to be fully known. Mm-hmm. And so be fully known, pull it out. Okay. So Andrew, that's, that's what you confess. Let's talk about who you confess to. Like, should we just right now turn to random strangers and confess sin? Like who should we confess our sin Absolutely. to? Absolutely. Turn to the person next to you, your <laughs> deepest, darkest, you just go, no, no, I'm kidding. We're not doing that. <laughs> And it's funny. Some of you are like, all right, I'm ready. I'm convicted. Like, Some I got to get it like, out. Yes. Confession, man. No. Full confession right now. <laughs> no, we would advise maybe not doing that. Here's like the lowest bar, and I will like work out from there. The lowest bar is that the people you confess your sin to need also to be Christians. All right, it is pointless to confess your sin to people who will not be able to talk about God and Jesus and the intricacies of the gospel and how that applies to you. And I'm not saying live a life of no transparency to the outside world. It's actually super good to tell non-believers and show other people outside the church that you do have weaknesses and you do struggle. But the level of like a total explicitness and like intimacy should be reserved for people that are mature believers walking like with you who know you and things like that. So you want to talk about high stakes accountability? Yeah. So, okay. We want to confess to believers, but also it would be helpful to confess to someone that you don't want to confess to. That's what we mean by high stakes accountability. And like, so people in my life, okay, that would be like my boss, Austin, like, you know, oh my gosh, is he going to think different of me because I've sinned? Or my wife, like who's much more godly than I am. And it's like, oh, I used to struggle with that way back in the day. But somebody who like, you wouldn't want to confess that certain sin to. And so having a high stakes accountable person there uh, would be helpful. But another thing that would be helpful, helpful as you think about like the core, you know, three or four people that you're confessing to is confessing to someone who's been down that road before and won. Like somebody who's fought this sin and who's like much further down the road of sanctification. So if it's like gossip, like maybe there's someone who's like, yeah, I used to struggle gossip all the time, but now I found freedom from that. And that's something you struggle with. Well, find someone who can show you the way to freedom. If you and your best friend are gossiping all the time, like, oh, we gossip too much. They are not your accountability partner for <laughs> gossip. You, know, you are they both will, drowning in yes, the sea of that You cannot <laughs> save someone else. Someone has to be able to throw the life preserver that's a little bit farther ahead of you. So Yeah. So, so that would be helpful. Like, okay, somebody, maybe you have a drinking problem. Okay. Well, someone who's been through that, a lust problem, someone who's been through that, an anger problem a greed problem. I mean, find someone who's like, dude, I've been there and I know the way forward. Let me help you. That would be a good person to confess to. Yeah. And I would also confess to people who are consistently in your life and know everything about you. You don't have to say everything to everyone, but someone needs to know everything about your life. That's right. Somebody needs to know every detail about the relationship that you're in. Somebody needs to know exactly how many times you're participating in whatever. Somebody needs to know everything. And it should be somebody that loves you enough to be able to like tell you when you're wrong or like tell you some truth. So you need that. So that's great. Um, what about when should I confess? That's maybe who I should confess to. Like when is the best time like to bring stuff up? Yeah. Uh, two like words that we'll use often with when to confess is fast and first. So we, we want to confess fast Okay. As almost, you know, as you're like, if you fall into sin, we don't want to wait a week or a month and now you're healed from this certain thing and then confess it so fast, but also first. And what we mean by that is the first temptation to sin. Like the moment you start to feel that very first, like desire to get a drink or desire to gossip or desire to lust, like we want to confess it really quickly because I'm telling you, taking that win early 
in that battle, it's going to help you advance down the road. And so we want to confess fast and first. Andrew, what else do you want to do as we're... Yeah. And the thing about confess, like, it's way easier to confess something. Hey, I struggle with that. And like, you know, but I worked it out with the Lord. I've been reading my Bible, like ton of growth in the last, you know, week or whatever. And you're like, dude, not helpful. Okay. <laughs> the actually moment that is most helpful to confess is the moment you find yourself like humbled, maybe even embarrassed. You have no excuse, no justification, because it's only in that place where you actually feel really vulnerable and really like, I actually can't make this better right now that you can experience the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And so as soon as you sin, before you even give your time, yourself time to like make up for it, you know, with what you do, confess in that moment because that is when the power of the gospel is going to begin to transform you. So the other thing that I love about confession is this isn't a one-time act like, all right, I confess that one thing. This is a daily rhythm. And when Jesus's disciples were like, hey, Jesus, we like teach us how to pray. We want to pray every day. One of the things in the Lord's prayer that Jesus says, assuming you would pray every day all the time is Lord forgive us of our trespasses okay I just want to like relieve some tension in the room Jesus expects and even anticipates that you would have new sins ongoing sins to confess him every day and that's okay because that's actually what it means to follow Jesus. But some of us never even get to that point. And so we're so loaded up with secrets and I just want you to hear me say you are as sick as your secrets you're as sick as your secrets. And that's because there is a unique tiredness, anxiety, and like maybe just like irritation in the life of a Christian that comes from undealt with sin. There is a unique exhaustion. There is like a specific type of burnt out anxiety that comes when you are not dealing with things that are out of alignment with God and his word. It's just the natural consequences. And let me tell you this, I know it may seem humiliating or embarrassing or painful to confess, but the pain of concealing your sin is far worse than the pain of confessing your sin. The pain of concealing it is far worse than the pain of confessing it because what's waiting for you on the other side of confession isn't condemnation and isn't judgment. It's a God who loves you and wants to meet you in that space and heal you. One of the things I think Satan would love for this room to believe is that what's waiting for you on the other side is like humiliation or like embarrassment or whatever, but God isn't trying to humiliate you. He's trying to heal you. And the reason we confess our sins as Christians, we don't confess our sins in order to be saved. We confess our sins because we already are. Okay, one of your rights, one of your birthrights as a Christian, bought with the blood of Jesus, is the ability to own the biggest failures and mistakes of your life and still declare that you are a loved child of God. And if you do not give Jesus the opportunity to do that by confessing even the worst parts of you, you will miss out on the entire purpose of following Jesus, which is to have a savior that saves. I'm telling you guys, we confess our sins. And in doing that, that confirms our belief in what Jesus did on the cross, because he said it is finished. And so we confess our sins under the banner of love and forgiveness in our life, not in order to earn that from God. And that should free us to do that. So that is, yeah, that's why we confess. Um, Zach, we're going to move on from confession. We'll talk about repentance a little bit, because that is the first. Yeah. We need to get stuff out. We want to be a people that have, like, we'll always have sin. We don't want to have secrets, so, like, confess them out. But what does it look like to repent, to actually turn away from some of these things? Yeah, certainly confession is part of the process of repentance, like turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. It's a helpful, honestly, one of the first tools you can do to get on the path of repentance. But here's the first thing I would say, about repentance is that it actually comes from a heart, like a contrite heart that realizes the seriousness of sin. 
Like you're going to have to understand the weight and the seriousness of your sin. Like it's out to get you and it wants to destroy you. And so even after you sin, man, it's helpful to not move too fast to worship in Jesus and the gospel and reminding yourself that, you know, it's been paid for. Actually, it would be helpful if after you sin to actually sit with it for a moment and just to realize man, this thing right here could kill everything I know and love. Mm-hmm. And this thing right here is taking my joy, leading me to walk with shame and that exhaustion. And so one of the places when, when we come from repentance is just having a heart that hates sin. And so as we think about re- repentance, I would just say this, if there's anything you can do to cultivate a heart that hates sin, like you want to you want to cultivate a heart that absolutely hates sin. Like that's not numb to it. And like it, when it gets pricked, you're like, oh, you know, Jesus has paid for it. But no, like when you sin, it actually like hurts you and it like pricks your conscience and you can't shake it. Like we want a heart that hates sin. Cause guys, you gotta, you have to realize that there is an enemy that wants to take everything that you love. Like one of the ways to cultivate a heart that hates sin is to do just think about what your sin did to your savior, Jesus, right? Man, it killed him. But also think about what sin wants to take from you. Guys, I promise you everything that you want in life, like all the things as you look forward five years, 10 years, the things that are going to bring you joy. Okay. Maybe you're married. Okay. You got a husband or a wife who loves you. Maybe you have kids. Okay. As you think about your future. Okay. And you're 60 years old and you're like, man, this is the dream. Okay, 40 years of faithfulness to Jesus, sitting next to your partner in ministry, your spouse, okay, looking over your ranch in Kansas, you know, on the back porch, you know, just enjoying life, thinking, wow, all your grandkids running around. Like, that's the goal. Am I right? No, I'm just kidding. In Texas, That sounds maybe. miserable, not in Kansas. <laughs> Sorry, no, 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 Kansas, but, guys, but you know. But imagine, okay, you're there. Okay, you made it. All the things that brought you joy, you got to have purpose on this life. Sin wants to take all of that from you. Like it wants to kill you. Like, like you want to get married one day to a faithful, a faithful man. Sin wants to ruin your husband. Like it wants to take him out. You want to have a wife one day. Sin wants to separate you from your wife, your kids. It wants to take everything that you love from you. Think about that often and you will hate the sin that you're performing in your life. So that's, that's where repentance begins is a heart that starts to hate sin. Absolutely. You got to hate it to kill it. Uh, here's a question that I get a lot. I, somebody, or usually I have a few people that ask me, Hey, how can I create boundaries and fight my sin without becoming legalistic or works-based righteousness? They're like, Hey, I'm saved by grace. I believe the gospel is by faith alone. How can I fight my sin? How can I take action steps without accidentally becoming legalistic or some like works-based righteousness? All right. Here's the thing. When you think your acceptance or belonging in the family of God is contingent upon you following rules above and beyond the Bible, that is legalism. Or when you think you are better than or superior to other Christians because of the rules you follow, that is legalism. Don't do that. Don't be self-righteousness. However, when you are honest enough about the sin in your life to put radical boundaries and fight incredibly hard, that is wisdom, not legalism. That is a person that cares about holiness and follow Jesus, not somebody who, do, who isn't believing the gospel. Okay. And so like one of the marks of the mature Christians is actually that they trust themselves less, not that they trust themselves more. Okay. It's a, actually an immature thing to think to yourself, you know what? I'm getting pretty good at this following Jesus thing. I don't need as many boundaries. I'm not as sinful as I once was. Like I'm not going to sin as easily. It's like, no, that is an immature way to think. Actually a mature way to think about following Jesus is that the more mature you get, the more 
more realize, the more aware you are that you can sin and the harder you fight against it. That is a mature, wise way to follow Jesus with your life. That's great. Okay. So we're still in repentance. And, and a question I get asked often is Zach, what about like, I'm, I'm fighting sin and I'm actually winning in some areas, man, but this one area of my life over and over again, there's this habitual sin that keeps coming back. Like depending on like your disposition and your nature, like there's a sin that haunts you. And you can call it indwelling sin or habitual sin. But Zach, what do I do here? Because I've tried all the, like, certainly the confession stuff, Andrew, and like, you know, I'm doing all the things. But man, it keeps coming back. What, what do we do here? And, and that's a great question to ask. Certainly, man, confess it full, fast first, you know, get in places that you can stop yourself from sinning. But, but man, you're gonna, that's a very serious thing. And you're gonna have to really double down on that sin in particular. You're gonna need to confess that often. You're gonna need to take the first hill every single time. Like the first, like image of a fantasy that hits your head, you're gonna have to kill it. Okay. The first temptation to gossip or anger, you're gonna have to kill it, um, to get habitual sin out. You know, there is one thing that you can do that I've found great freedom from. And I would encourage here, especially in the American church, it's kind of become lost on us, but fasting would be an incredible tool for you as you fight habitual sin, certainly all sin. And to help you see, if you're like, I don't even know what sin I struggle with. Fasting could help you do that because think about fasting. What do I mean by that? Well, biblically, that's a practice of going without food in order to do a number of things, fight sin, pray, seek the will of God, but it's denying yourself food specifically. Like you can fast social media and you know soda or tea, but fasting from food for the purpose of communing with God. How does fasting, what's that going to do for you? Well, there's a physical component to it. It's going to help you train, but also a spiritual component. Cause think about fasting. What is it? Well, there's a desire in your body that comes up hunger. Like I'm hungry. Well, that's a desire for food. And you're literally teaching your body to say no to a desire that you have biologically. Well, what are you doing? Man, you're training yourself to say no to the impulses of your body. Well, think about how that's going to help you fight sin because you're going to have these impulses, these desires that pop up, but you've trained your heart to say no. And so you're able, you're like, no, dude, I can actually say no to things that I want because I have a deeper desire that trumps my immediate desire. Like the deeper desire is faithfulness to Jesus while the immediate desire is satisfaction or gratification of sin. But you live according to your deep desires, not your immediate ones. So fasting would be an incredible thing, not to mention the spiritual component. Like there is a real spiritual help that the spirit of God gives you as you fast to fight sin. And so I would suggest that to you if you haven't already, especially if you're struggling with habitual indwelling sin, that would be a helpful tool for you. Yeah. And just another note on sin that you guys may be struggling with at a deep level or have for years. If you're struggling with something like, let's say like a nicotine addiction and you see in scripture that we're not to be controlled by anything, but the spirit of God and you're like, man, I, I think that's sin. I'm addicted to it. I craving it or like, whether it's pornography or alcohol, like binge drinking, whatever it is, like we understand that there's a category where things are so habit formed, so much a part of your life and have been for so many years, we would actually put that thing, yes, in the category category of sin, but also move that into the addiction category. And people in the addiction category who have an addiction, meaning you cannot say no to something like once, twice, like whatever, I don't know, I don't want to put an exact number on it and call it addiction, but probably more of us are addicted to something than we would think. Those people get treatment. 
And we actually just want to help you, like, like destigmatize. Like, yes, you need to read your Bible and you need to pray. You need to seek pastor's help. There might be also psychological help, groups you can get in, support groups, like medical attention, like things like addictions. And I'm even talking sexual here. If you cannot say no to those things, it is possible that your body has so been biologically trained to like anchor itself to these things that one of the things that will help you get free is going and seeking some sort of help in addition to the church, not ex- at the exclusion of it, but in addition to the church in some medical type of way. And so we just want to like give you the freedom and just like the ownership to go do that because that is a really helpful thing for people who struggle with that and a lot. So yeah, that's kind of what we're thinking. Here's a couple other things I found helpful in the category of repentance. Uh, sometimes I'll have guys sit across me like, dude, I just, I want to be done with this. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. One question sometimes I'll ask is like, all right, just this week, you don't have to think long-term about this. This isn't like new life rhythms just this week. What would it take for you to have a 0% chance of doing that sin? Like just brainstorm. What's what's zero percent chance? Maybe you give me a laptop. Maybe you don't. You can't talk to that friend, or you can't go on this website, or you can't like. What would it take to have a zero percent chance? Like as close to zero. Do that for a week, or ask yourself: Are you willing to do that, or do you not actually hate the sin that bad? So, what would it take to give yourself a zero percent? Try it for a week. Be radical about it. And the other thing, like kind of with that is I'm, I I'll often sit across from a guy who's, who wants to be more self-controlled or I don't want to do this as much. And I'll ask him like, Hey, yeah, that is a sin. You shouldn't do that. What about the rest of your life? Like, do you like, if you want to be self-controlled, do you monitor the amount of sleep you get? Or do you just kind of like nap endlessly? Do you like monitor like your pop intake or you just, or soda if people are from, not from Iowa, uh, like, do you monitor that or you just drink as much or eat as much sugar or coffee drinks in the morning or whatever? Like, do you regulate anything in your life? Because you will not magically become a self-controlled person in this one specific sin that you want to get rid of if you are living a lifestyle of giving in to your desires. And so as like a holistic person and a holistic disciple of Jesus, his greatest goal for you is not that you would just stop doing that one thing. It's that you would become a self-controlled person because you're living in step with the spirit in every single area of your life. And so just viewing your life and your fight with sin as holistic to all of those things. That's great. Okay. We did confession. We just briefly hit repentance. We're going to move to abiding in Christ. As I said earlier, like honestly, a proactive approach to fighting sin is simply walking with Jesus. Like I've heard it said once, like sin won't taste bitter until Jesus tastes sweet. And we want to cultivate a heart and a taste and just taste buds to love what is good, true, and beautiful in the world so that we'll hate what is dark and dirty like sin. And so we want to fill our minds and our hearts with the goodness and the beauty of Jesus and feast upon his goodness, taste and see that he's good and eat steak, not dirt and mud that we've been used to our whole lives. Because the more you cultivate a heart for steak or chicken or whatever it is for you, you're not going to want to go back to the things that you used to eat. And so we're talking about abiding in Christ as a tool to fight sin. Okay, in John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. And so we want to give you three kind of categories of abiding that we think would be helpful for you as you continue this fight against sin. Number one is abiding in prayer. Number two is abiding in God's word. And number three would be abiding in community, which we've kind of hit on a little bit. And so abiding in prayer, God's word, and community, that's going to be a pretty helpful, proactive strategy to fight sin. So what do we mean by abiding in prayer? Simply put, 
as Christians, the Bible calls us to pray without ceasing. And that could be challenging for you because you're like, wait a second, am I supposed to constantly be in a prayer, like a monologue with God over and over again? No, guys, the Bible is talking about a spirit of prayer and walking in the presence of Jesus. Like the promise of Matthew 28 is true. He's going to be with you always. And what's helpful is you might ask the question, how is abiding in prayer helping me fight sin? Well, as you pray, you're acknowledging the presence of God, that he's with you. Man, just thinking about the fact that God's here with us in this room, it actually helps you like, no, I don't want to be angry with this person. God's like, he watches, he knows my thoughts, he's with me, he wants what's good for me. And so that's going to be helpful for you as you fight sin, but also as you abide in prayer, just daily praying for help for the spirit of God to help you fight sin is going to help you fight sin. Like, like Andrew said, the Lord's prayer says, forgive us our trespasses. It also says, lead us not into temptation. And so just praying that often, Jesus, help me not give in to temptation, walk towards temptation is going to be helpful. So that's abiding in prayer. Andrew, what about abiding in God's word? Yeah. Abiding in God's word just means you need to live a lifestyle where you are constantly inside of your Bible. And here's the thing. The point of reading your Bible is not for you to get in the word. It's for the word of God to get into you. Okay, when we are talking about getting in your Bible, I'm not talking about you checking off the boxes out of a Bible reading plan. I am talking about the Word of God so deeply saturated in your life and your thoughts that your thoughts, your actions, your life begins to change because what's most true to you is what you're reading in the Bible. And if you spend more time on Bible than you do on social media, if you spend more time being shaped by the Word of God, all of a sudden, the world around you and society is going to seem like the thing that's out of step and not your Bible. All right. And it's so good when you begin to align yourself with the word of God, you see your whole life more clearly. And sometimes you guys, one of the most effective ways to fight your sin is to cling to the promises of God. And sometimes you just need to like see them written out. All right. It's like one thing for me to know that like my old self is dead and crucified with Christ. It is a whole other thing to see it written in Romans six, a promise from God almighty that my old self has been crucified with him and I am now alive with Christ and I can stake my life on that promise. All right, it's like one thing to know that Jesus was humble and I should be like that. It is a whole other thing to read the Christ hymn and Philippians 2 and see how humble my Savior Jesus was and know that his spirit is alive in me. And those are promises that you can build your life on. And so be a person who lives a life shaped and formed by the word of God, and that will push sin out of your life. Yeah, like Andrew said, it's, it's so true. We don't just want to abide in God's word, but we want God's word to live and abide in us. And we, guys, we could do a whole breakout on the value of memorizing scripture in your fight against sin and how helpful that would be to you. I'll just give you two quick verses from the Bible to prove that memorizing the Bible will help you fight sin. And it's in the same chapter. It's Psalm 119.9 and Psalm 119.11. Both of those are going to talk about fighting sin with the Bible. One of them says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. And the other one says, I have treasured your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And so the Bible oftentimes is going to talk about the value of memorizing the word in your fight against sin. So, okay, abiding in God's word. What about abiding in community, Andrew? What do we mean by, we've been hitting on this all afternoon, but what does it mean to abide in community? Yeah, one of the most important things for your walk with Jesus, period, but also your fight against sin, both now in college and for the rest of your life following Jesus, is finding a local church that teaches the Bible, loves Jesus, and values authentic small group community. Okay, by and large, that is not like standard operating procedures by many churches in this country you will have to fight to find a church like that. 
it is worth the fight because there is nothing more powerful than a church that is alive, a church that is teaching the Bible and values community with one another. You guys are in Salt Company right now, and they Salt Company does it so, so well. You will need to fight for that later in life. Inside of that community, you need some people that know everything about you. And you need some people that are like unimpressed with you, okay? Like if I'm going to fight sin in my life, I need people who do not give a rip that I like did a conference breakout on fighting sin. Like people that just don't care who I am or what I do. They just can see the sin in my life. They know me fully and can kind of direct me. And if you're going to sort of live the lifestyle of repentance, of fighting your sin, you actually need to be a person that doesn't let other people's ideas and thoughts be a suggestion to you, but actually be humble and teachable enough to let their words shape and redirect you towards Christ, assuming that they might be able to see things that you can't see for yourself. And so abiding in community, living in a, like a vibrant Christ community means actually giving permission to that community to shape you, change you, and tell you hard things that you wouldn't normally hear. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit? That's maybe like the community part, just of like church in general, being involved in that. Okay. There's, I mean, there's something valuable about a weekly, often meeting with other believers. What are you doing at church? <laughs> well, you're worshiping Jesus. So you're remembering who he is, but you're also reminded of the seriousness of sin. It would be good for you weekly to go to church. Why? Because it will remind you just how dangerous sin is, the effects it had on Jesus and the effect it's going to have on your life. So honestly, just singing worship songs like tonight, I promise you, there will be a song that's sung about the sacrifice of Jesus for sins. That's helpful to remember because we're forgetful people. So that's going to be valuable every time you go to church. Okay, baptism, the sacraments that a church has, that's actually going to help you also fight sin. For you to get baptized is a symbol of what sin did to Jesus. Like you were dead in sin and then raised to life in Christ. You getting baptized and then consistently seeing other people get baptized is going to provide some spiritual help for you in fighting sin. And it's the same with the Lord's Supper, taking communion. Every time you take it, what are you doing? You're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins, for the forgiveness of sins. And so just being at a church that's worshiping through song, through the word being preached, taking communion, Lord's Supper, all these things, it's going to help you fight sin. Yeah. Uh, We want the word of God to sort of have the last say in how we talk about fighting sin. Listen to what the Lord tells us in Philippians chapter one, verse six. He says, I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, you guys. You are fighting a battle that has already been won. Okay, nobody cares more about your fight against sin than Jesus Christ himself who came down to earth to die for it in your place. And when Jesus looks at you, the vision that he has for your life is one day you in heaven, a totally perfected being, no sin, free from sin. That's what Jesus sees when he sees you. And he wants to invite you on that journey to day by day, be transformed into that with the power of his spirit living inside of us. He who began a good work, he will bring it to completion. The spirit will help you fight sin and we will be there. That is a promise of scripture, not just a hope that we have. You want to pray for to close it down? Yeah, I'll pray for us and then we will finish it. God, we love you, but we hate sin. Father, I, I hate what sin has done in my life. I hate what, the effects of sin that it's had in my heart. God, I hate what sin has done to the people I love, to my family, and to the people in this room, God. The effects of sin, God, we hate it. And I ask, would you help us hate it more? And God, by your grace, would you help us leave here with a renewed heart to fight sin, 
to have vigor as we fight sin tooth and nail to remind us, God, that it's only by your grace that we fight sin. We will slay our sin by grace and grace alone. God, would you give us grace to fight sin, to have endurance in this battle, to have our eyes focus on Jesus until he comes. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, thanks for being here. Uh, I think uh, seven o'clock tonight is when Hall A opens. There'll be some podcast episodes with church planters and then eight o'clock. Eight o'clock is session session three. Thanks, guys.